Sackcloth and ashes are the ultimate sign of humility. It is the ultimate sign that you have recognized your true soul position before the Almighty God, who is seated on the divine throne of heaven. It is interesting to me that God recognizes true humility and repentance of his people when it is in fact flowing from a heart of sincerity. As our nation plunges itself into the worst position, putting itself in a position to receive the greatest outpouring of God's wrath, sackcloth and ashes will be a critically important component of our future, whether we will be obedient, whether we will humble ourselves and repent and recognize the righteousness of our great God and the necessity of his people living a life that is worthy of him, a life that is righteous and holy. Whether we will do that or not, I do not know, but I know it will be required, and that is for sure. We are trying to figure out what does the Bible have to say about faith. And in our series, Faith for the Final, Surviving the Coming Days, in this part four, we want to continue our analysis of the Lord Jesus' criticism and exhortation of his disciples regarding their faith in their fellowship of him while he was here on earth. In looking at what he said to them, it is insightful because it will help us to more fully appreciate the life of faith. As conservatives, as those who view themselves as the true keeper of the scripture in terms of their intent, uh, for the most part, conservative evangelical Christians without even knowing it and without being purposeful, have in fact allowed themselves to fall into a ditch. They have no faith. In fact, I am going to insist that a large majority of people who call themselves Christians are in fact exactly what Jesus describes in the passage that we have been studying, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He told them it was because of your little faith. The, the Greek term for little faith used in this verse is the only, occurs only once in the New Testament, that is, as a noun. Here Jesus says that his disciples had a little faith as a thing. Now the translators of the New Testament decided that they did not uh, like or appreciate what Jesus said, and so they knowingly, perhaps unknowingly, changed the sense of this text and, of course, as we have demonstrated and are continuing to do so, put in, made it a contradiction by adding the words, the size of a mustard seed. 
It created a contradiction, made the text nonsensical, and to a great degree has robbed many Christians of the joy of the journey of building a faith that pleases God and accomplishes great works on this earth. We began looking to explain this text. We needed to understand what Jesus said. He said it was because of your little faith. Now, we have also discovered that oligopistia, the Greek word for small faith, is one of Matthew's favorite terms. He, in fact, uses it on five different occasions. He will use it as a noun once in the verse that we are discussing, and four times he will use the adjective. This adjective describes uh, the noun, as you understand your English uh, uh, class. The adjective is describing the noun, and the noun in each of these verses is, in fact, the disciples. We looked at two previous verses where Matthew used this term. This time we want to look at uh, the two verses, uh, Matthew 14, 31 and 6, 18. Now here in Matthew 14, 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, the, the verse, as it reads in the Greek, is not a complete sentence. But in the translation, we made it a complete sentence in order to help the reader make sense of what it says. O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus actually said, you little faith. Little faith you. And little faith is an adjective. It describes the you, which is in this case singular, because the Lord Jesus is only talking to Peter. Now, if you remember the context here, Jesus uh, comes walking on the water to his disciples. They are in a boat. A storm on the Sea of Galilee has almost put the boat uh, underwater. The disciples are very frightened and become even more frightened as Jesus comes walking on the water, whom they first mistake to be a ghost, which is, of course, uh, nonsense. But uh, you can see the irrationality of his disciples. No such thing as a ghost. Jesus, once he identifies himself to the disciples, Peter immediately uh, says, Lord, command me to come to you. And, in fact, gets out of the boat and goes walking over to the Lord Jesus. And, in fact, Peter walked on the water. Now, of course, to achieve this, the Lord had to change natural law. Human beings do not naturally walk on water. But God can and often will set aside natural law when necessary to achieve a purpose that he has. Now, the law is not replaced. The law is simply set aside for that moment. And you need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that believers in Jesus Christ, 
do have that authority. Unsadly and unfortunately, we have not been taught it. You have not been taught it. You don't know it. And consequently, your response is often just like Peter. Peter got out of the boat, went to the Lord, evidently was standing there talking to him and suddenly realized where he was and what the situation was and began to doubt. And as he began to sink, cried out to the Lord to save him. And of course, the Lord did and rebuked him by saying, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, it's important for you to understand that the term little faith here is, a, is an adjective. Small faith people. He describes Peter as being a small faith person. And this criticism is the third time the Lord has criticized his disciples as being among the little faith people. Interestingly, we saw in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, that little faith people worry about clothing. Little faith people are afraid of nature, as we saw in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And here we see that they doubt their own experience. Little faith people doubt the authenticity of the work of God in their lives, even though they have personally experienced it. Uh, Christians often do this. They don't believe what they see. They don't believe their eyes. Or they refuse to add any significance to what they've seen. They've seen God move in their lives and the lives of others. They have seen God do phenomenal works. They have seen God do things that they know was the work of God and none other, and yet they refuse to allow that experience to influence future decisions. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the importance of faith. Faith is always the result of past experience. A great faith is built on past experiences. And the fact that Peter walked on the water had he himself experienced the setting aside of natural law, which made it possible for an object heavier than water to, in fact, walk on top of water. And he chose not to allow that experience to become the basis for an even greater faith to believe in the power and work of God. And this is what we're going to see time and time again, not only in the life of the disciples, but in our own lives. Indeed, you must trust your own experience, that which is the result of that which is influenced by the power and greatness of God. These are so important. These are these are really, really, really important issues for us to think about as we travel down this road of learning how to be people of great faith instead of people of little faith. In fact, I am not afraid to say that up to 99% of the people who call themselves Christians, those who are, of those who are truly born again, 
99% of them are accurately described as little faith people. The whole church sits on Sunday morning and we deny the evidence of our own experience as a mechanism to form the basis of how we make decisions about things we do not know and things we cannot see. We do not have the ability to march forward. And that is sad. Notice Matthew chapter 16, verse 8, the fourth example of Matthew's use of this term oligopistus as an adjective. Now, it will be very interesting for us to see this. Notice the verse, Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Now, here we have our adjective again, describing all of the disciples this time. You is plural. Little faith, you. Little faith, an adjective, describing you, the noun, which, of course, refers to the disciples. Now, in this particular text, the Lord Jesus criticizes his disciples because they are discussing the fact that they have no bread. Now, the context, Jesus teaching people, people listening to him as he's teaching them. I, he may be walking or they went out to find where he was, but evidently he's significantly past town out in the desert, out in the wilderness, out in the barren plots, away from the city. The people get hungry, and Jesus decides to feed them, and he does. In fact, he fed them on several different occasions. And this particular miracle here is the second time Jesus has fed a rather large multitude of people. And in both cases, Jesus fed more than 3,000 people. One occasion, it was 5,000. He's feeding these people, and he's giving them um, bread and fish. After each feeding, uh, the disciples gather up the leftovers. On one occasion, each one got a basket full, 12 baskets, each one of them carrying the evidence of what they saw and experienced. On the other occasion, they took up seven baskets. Seven, of course, is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. It is the number of, uh, that indicates the sufficiency of God. And so the disciples, after Jesus fed the multitude, they, with Jesus, are going to get into a boat and while they are doing so, they discover that they only have one loaf of bread. Now, it seems that they thought they were going to be gone for a few days. And so, you know, one loaf, how could possibly 12 disciples and Jesus survive with one loaf of bread? And so this is what they are discussing, the fact that they only have one loaf of bread. Now, Jesus hears the discussion about the fact that they have no bread or 
an insufficient amount of bread. And so they decide among themselves, uh, they are trying to decide among themselves what they're going to do about it. And Jesus rebukes them for it by describing them as little faith people. Now, why does he do that? Well, this passage, this particular miracle is actually recorded in both um, in, uh, in Mark. And in Mark, um, chapter 8, verse 17, this same question is stated like this. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Now, these three questions are very informative for helping us understand what it is that the Lord Jesus expected his disciples to do in this particular situation. Now, remember, just earlier, within almost earshot, they witnessed, they themselves experienced the Lord Jesus turning a few fish and some loaves into enough to feed 5,000 people. They come away from that experience having gained nothing. Look at this. Now notice these questions that the Lord Jesus put to the disciples. Basically, he's going to insist that little faith is not equal to no faith, but it can be just as bad. And I want you to remember that. He said to the disciples, do you not yet perceive? And the Greek word that's used for perception here is means to comprehend something on the basis of careful thought and consideration. It means to come to a conclusion, to reason yourself to a conclusion that is based on a careful thought and consideration. Now he says, have, have you not thought carefully about the experience you just had and are, not, are you not allowing it to influence your decisions daily? The second question in Mark is means to employ one's capacity for understanding and thus to arrive at insight. Sunete, sunete to understand, to to use your use your head, man. Use your use your brain to think about this these events. To employ your ability to think and, and logically reason and arrive at some insight. Obviously, Jesus is saying, now, I've, on two separate occasions, I've fed more than 3,000 people with a few loaves and a few small fish. From that experience, and they had two of them, from those experiences, you should now, having rationally and reasonably considered the situation, you should now allow it to influence your thinking. 
your faith. You are building faith, and you should have built a great faith based on the experience that you've had relative to this particular topic of understanding. In other words, what the Lord Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. If there's anything that you should believe about me at this point, it is that I am a bread specialist. If there's anything that I know, the Lord Jesus is saying, I know bread. Just think about it. I fed fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with a few loads and a few small fish. I fed more than 3,000 people on another occasion with fish and loaves. Now, if I'm able to take a loaf of bread and multiply it right in your sight as you see it, every time you, I give you a basket, it's full. And you stood there, you 12 disciples, single-handedly served more than 5,000 people as you watched me multiply bread out of thin air. I set aside natural law that says bread must be made, flour must be, you must grind it, it must then be made with water and yeast, it must be baked, cooled, and served. And you watched me make bread out of thin air on two separate occasions. And yet you are here discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread. If there is anything you ought to believe by now, based on your own experience, is that I'm a bread specialist. I know how to make bread and I know how to feed multitudes. And if this is not convincing, then you ought to know that God is able to do this given the fact that he fed more than 600,000 people for 40 years in the wilderness and every morning bread came down from heaven. Manna, what is it? Came down from heaven every day. Listen, if there's anything the disciples ought to have believed about Jesus given the fact that he had done two miracles where in both occasions he fed more than 3,000 people is that he will have no problem coming up with bread when necessary. All they had to do was trust him. They had one loaf in the boat. That's what Mark says. If Jesus couldn't multiply one loaf to feed 12, how in the world could he feed 300,000 with one loaf? loaf. Ladies and gentlemen, can you see it? You, can you see Jesus' frustration? And can you, can, can you see the disciples' failure? Notice the third question that he asked. Are your hearts hardened? It's an interesting Greek word here, poro'o. Uh, it's always used figuratively in the, whole, in the New Testament. Figuratively, 
It basically means unbelief in the face of incontrovertible evidence. It means to not allow your mind to perform a natural function. Unbelief in the face of incontrovertible evidence. Do you understand what I mean? Moses confronted Pharaoh with ten overt evidence evidences of God's existence. Moses performed nine incontrovertible miracles. You couldn't deny what you saw. You could not deny your own experience. You were there. You saw it happen. You saw why and how, and yet you denied what was incontrovertible. When you see God do something and it is incontrovertible, it means it cannot be refuted. And yet you, be, you refuse to believe in the power and evidence and might and glory of God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is evidence of a hardened heart. The idea here is that it's like a callus on the hand. You've built up so much dead skin that it's become hard, callous skin. And Jesus said to his disciples, could it be that the reason you could sit there and watch me feed thousands of people with one or two loaves and a few small fish and come away from that still worried about whether or not you have enough bread. The only logical reason in the only logical reason, ladies and gentlemen, for his disciples being able to do such a thing is that they had simply hardened their heart and refused. They refused to believe what they themselves had seen and evidenced and experienced. That is what our Lord is saying. And I am, I am utterly convinced that this is in fact occurring in the church today. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that we should not worry about food. This is the fourth principle of the new, that the New Testament teaches about little faith people. Little faith people worry about their clothing. Are they going to have any? Are they going to be good enough? Are they going to look pretty? Are they up to date? Are they modern? Little faith people fear nature. They fear the storms. They fear the rage of, the, of nature instead of understanding that God has given them authority to set aside natural law whenever necessary to preserve his intent and purpose on this earth. You have no need to fear what the storms may do. They can only respond as you give them license. Little faith people doubt their own experience. They deny what they see with their own eyes. They deny what they experience with their own hands, feet, eyes, tongue, ears, nose. They deny it, and they do not allow it to be compounding. 
Faith is a compounding principle. It is so critical to understand. Little faith people worry about food. They worry about whether they're going to have enough to eat. Not understanding that the one thing that God ought to have proved by now is that he knows how to feed his people. And nobody, nobody should be worried about food. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is fascinating. What Jesus is ultimately saying is that with God, a little faith can be just as bad as no faith. This, ladies and gentlemen, is proof positive that Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, is incorrectly translated in the NASB, the NIV, and the Net Bible. Jesus is not saying to his disciples, you have a little faith, but if you had a little faith like a mustard seed, he's saying you have a little faith and your little faith is insufficient to accomplish the deeds that you need to do. And there is absolutely no reason for you at this point to have a little faith. Ladies and gentlemen, little faith and the faith the size of a mustard seed are the exact same. There are no benefits to it. We need to build the kind of faith that can truly accomplish great things for the will of God.